reading of the scriptures from Romans chapter 5, verses 12 to 21. I invite your hearing of God's word in faith and reverence. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those uh, sinning, whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, please join me for another time of prayer. Father, again, we come before you in praise and adoration of our great God in heaven. We are thankful, Father, for uh, your loving kindness. We are thankful for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, and thankful for the gift of the Holy Spirit. In the words of the psalmist, we give uh, thanks in this season of thanksgiving to the Lord of lords, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. We give thanks to him who alone does great wonders. We are thankful for this church, for this place of worship. Uh, thank you for blessing us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And thank you for giving us our daily bread in abundance that we might uh, share with others. And so bless our offerings for the advancement of your kingdom, uh, the ministry of the gospel, and acts of mercy to those in need. Uh, we do uh, ask and pray for uh, Upoki and the saints in the Congo. We pray that you would protect them from the spread of violence and give them great faith and peace in the midst of unrest. As we pray for us, too, that you would protect us from the spread of lawlessness and violence and from the spiritual dangers which abound. And also, we are profoundly thankful for the Word, the Word of God, revelation to us. And so, Father, bless your Word to us this morning, which is firmly fixed forever in the heavens. Bless it to us as a lamp to our feet, a light to our path, to give us wisdom and skill for living. 
These things we pray in Christ. Amen. Thy will be done. Lord, hear our prayers. Um, as uh, everyone knows, there are many sciences uh, in life. Um, physics, biology, I mean, that's enough to mention. We could add many more. Uh, but, but the king of theology, the king of the sciences, is the study of God. Uh, because God speaks about our origins in life. Think about the Greek word for life, theos. We have our English word biology. Um, life comes from God. Uh, the ordering of the universe, uh, the incredible uh, structure of it, the nature, precision of it, um, comes from God. But what also comes from God and study the origin is the knowledge of, of the fall and uh, sin and judgment and condemnation. Now, of course, the secular academy is going to leave theology out as a science. And, of course, that's, that's the greatest of all tragedies because we need to learn about the ordering of life and biology and physics and engineering and space exploration. But all the more, we need to learn about our spiritual nature and why is there death? Why do we go to funerals? Why do, why do people have to die? To me, those are the great perplexing questions that theology, as the greatest of all sciences, alone deals with. And as the king of science, theology explains that there are two men whose actions and destinies forge the actions and destinies of everyone who comes after them, that they are the origin of life and death. And of course, in our text uh, this morning, we will learn that uh, the second man, who is Christ, reverses the totality of the misfortunes that the first man uh, brought upon us. And uh, that's another reason that theology is the king of science, because it's a study of the reversal of those incredible misfortunes. Uh, this theology is foreign to most, but in the spiritual and eternal realms, our, our destiny is forged by either the first Adam or the last Adam, who is Christ. Uh, consequently, you are uh, linked uh, to both, of course, but in terms of our spiritual destinies, you are linked either to the first Adam or the last Adam. And our text this morning is a grand comparison between the first Adam and the last Adam, who is Christ. Uh, and it, it explains the fall, but it also explains the recovery of the fall. That the first Adam lost everything. The last Adam will recover everything. And in this comparison between their actions and between the results of their actions, uh, 
Paul will also establish for whom those actions were made. And that's when the text becomes uh, the science of, if you will, psychology for you. For whom the actions of the first and last Adams uh, were, were made. It becomes entirely personal. Uh, in verses 12 to 14, uh, we learn that sin came and was followed by death. Uh, as you might imagine, the text is an allusion to Genesis 2 and 3 and establishes the first Adam in the garden as the head of the entire human race. The entire human race. Some of you, I know, are involved in genealogy. You're working out your family trees and on and on. Uh, but ultimately, if you could, if you could write long enough and hard enough, it would eventually start with Adam and Eve in the garden. With the first created man. We are all uh, his progeny. The entire human race. And God promised Adam that if he disobeyed him, he would die. At some point uh, in this probationary period, had Adam not done that, uh, he would have merged into eternal life. But he didn't. He disobeyed God. And he died. Sin now has entered the universe, and death follows it. Uh, the death is uh, in two parts, first spiritual, and then the second physical. Uh, we give most of our attention in life to spiritual death. I mean, we read about it in our daily newspaper. They don't call it that, but... Um, Maybe the headline is, uh, thus and such was murdered uh, in such and such town, uh, and they are trying to discover uh, who did it. But it's really the subject of uh, there's, uh, there's war in Ethiopia. There's anger between two different classes of people. On and on, but it's all really the spiritual death that entered the universe through the first man, Adam. Uh, if you will, uh, it's the invasion of evil and all sadness that comes from it into the universe because of what Adam and Eve did in the garden. And the reference to, uh, to death is to biological, and again, as I've suggested, and spiritual. Because Adam was much more than our biological father, he was our spiritual father. So that, if you look at verse 12, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. That we sinned in him. When Adam fell, he was our federal head. He was representing us. When he voted, loss came to him in incredible proportions 
but it also came to us because he voted for us. In the ancient Near East, the word for this is corporate solidarity. It's really true in our own country. Um, um, we, uh, we have representatives in Congress, House and Senate. When they vote, they're voting for us. We're not even there. I mean, what's just that? <laughs> That's just the way that it is in representative uh, constitutional republic. Oklahoma, we have two senators. When they vote, they're representing you. You are voting with them, even though you're not even there. Even though, uh, in my case, they don't even know my name. Someone mentioned my name, they would say, who? Uh, but when Adam voted, he was voting for you, and he represented you. And when he fell, you fell in him because of corporate solidarity. And every disorder, disability, disease, depraved act, and violence in nature, and death itself are the result of that one act. And everyone is subject to it because everyone dies, spiritually and physically. Shorter Catechism says, uh, by virtue of the fall, we lost communion with God. Greatest spiritual event of all time, Adam's fall. We lost communion with God. And we are under his wrath and curse, and so made liable to all the miseries in this life, to death itself, and the pains of hell forever. To me, that's a chilling... I mean, I, just, I read that and I... I study it on occasion in different classes, but the phrase, all the miseries in this life, is so chilling to me. It just, just kind of grips you to death itself and the pains of hell forever. That's what Adam, our forefather, brought in to the world. And Paul says that death reigned universally. Universally. Everyone that's born um, dies. And certainly with the Mosaic Law, sin enumerated and intensified the effects. Thankfully, thankfully, God answers. And God sets in motion the total reversal of what the first Adam did. He will totally reverse what Adam did in the Garden of Eden. Because uh, we learned in verse 14 that Adam was a type, meaning that God would begin again with an anti-type to reverse the effects of the fall by Christ, who is the last Adam, who will effect the reversal, set it in motion, place all who are in him uh, on a path of total reversal. Everything will be turned inside out by the actions of the last Adam, Jesus Christ. Um, including, including death itself. Because he too is a federal head. 
representing his people. Adam represents everyone universally, biologically. Christ represents his spiritual people, all of them. And he will affect the total reversal of the ruin brought by the first Adam. Now I would remind you, as certainly is compelling, uh, ruin's going to come into your life. At some point, barring the coming of our Savior, you, you're, you are going to die. I promise you, you're going to die. And this is a compelling reason uh, that Paul really affirms here in this text to believe in Christ. Because only he can reverse it. Only he can reverse it. In that sense, he commands the spiritual destiny of all of his sons and daughters. And he will recover them all. None will be lost. Not one. It's the promise of the gospel uh, that begins, uh, begins at the cross, of course. So think of Adam as a typical figure and then another anti-typical figure who is Christ that God provides. Thank God that he did. Who will reverse and recover and restore. Uh, oftentimes wonder what the Garden of Eden looked like. And then I go to Montana or Wyoming and, you know, maybe there, may, maybe 1% of the beauty. Go to Colorado. You look at them, something about mountains that just kind of excites me. I don't know what it is, but, you know, you can see the mountains. Wow, that's so cool. I mean, I don't know. What is that? Point zero zero zero. One thousand of a percent of the beauty and the majesty of the garden that God will recover. He's going to recover it by His Son, Jesus Christ. And so, uh, in this great loss, God gives us a who who is Christ. He's going to tell why tell us why Christ comes, namely to reverse, and how He does that. And we've been looking at that on any number of occasions, how we did that. Uh, and it represents to us the gospel, not just the gospel of salvation, but the greatest hope in all of the world. Greatest hope. One of my greatest losses in life was when my father passed away. He was a fairly young man, because he was a Christian. I will see him again. And Christ uh, has affected that and will perfect it on uh, the day of his coming. Um, I would remind you that the world has, has none of that hope. It discounts theology of the king of sciences. In many cases, in the secular academy, it laughs at it, jokes about it, uh, tries to undermine the Christian in the classroom, whatever science they're studying. Uh, and, and so they are really uh, hopeless, but we are hopeful uh, because of the last Adam and the reversal affected by him. In verses 15 to 21, Christ is uh, the gift of grace causing justification and those receiving this grace will reign in eternal life. 
So in contrast to the transgression of Adam, God gives the gift of his son. And this gift is referred to as the gift of the grace of God. God didn't have to give it. He was under no compulsion whatsoever to reverse what Adam did. But because he's a God of love and affection, he does through Christ. Uh, and he says in verse 15 that the gift by grace abounds to the many. The reference to grace, as you know, is to unmerited favor. Now, we gloss over that sometimes, unmerited. You didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. There's nothing you could do. But God simply gives it by his sovereign grace and power. Unmerited. It's the merits of Christ that's going to reverse the chaos of the fall introduced by the first Adam. Now, we couldn't earn it or merit it because we inherited from Adam, the first Adam, uh, a fallen nature that governs us. Christ, Christ can reverse that. It is entirely gratuitous based upon his will. Entirely gratuitous means it's entirely of his sovereign grace. Uh, you couldn't earn it because God demands total perfection. First uh, Corinthians chapter one verse thirty. But by His doing, by His doing, by the doing of God, something that men could not do, God did. By His doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Uh, the verb uh, that grace abounds to us means that God sets in motion every countervailing provision to check the ruin, including both spiritual and physical death that invaded our world when Adam fell. Every thing will be reversed because of the last Adam. The spiritual death introduced by the first Adam brought judgment and condemnation. Christ will counter it with justification resulting in the removal of guilt and acquittal. Simply going to remove it. Returning again to the first Adam by his act, Paul says death reigned. Death became king. who rules over every one of his subjects. Everyone ever been born has a king. That king is death. And everyone became a part of that kingdom. It's just, it's just kind of a chilling fact to me. John Murray in his commentary in Romans says, death wielded its undisputed sway over them. And you and I know that the effect is catastrophic. I mentioned earlier that I'm at that age in life where I, I'm beginning to go to more funerals, uh, more of my friends and et cetera, et cetera, family members die. You go to their funeral, remember them, and hopefully ponder Christ. 
and sometimes in profound sadness, you understand the pristine beauty of the recovery affected by Christ. And, and again, the effect is universal ruin. I mean, you might say to yourself, well, Phil, how come I get depressed? Well, the Garden of Eden. Uh, some of you know that um, I don't have a very good voice anyway, but my voice has changed because I have a cold. I hate colds. Why do I get colds? The fall of Adam. Some of you are going to watch football games today. Your favorite team is going to lose. Why is there loss of any kind? The fall of Adam. Everything. Why do we do all the hospitals? The fall of Adam. Every hospital that's ever been built, as beneficial as they are to life and healing, is built because of the fall of Adam. Why, why, why are there morgues, the fall of Adam? And I've really said enough. But it, if you understand that, and that I think is Paul's point, you begin to embrace the reality of the sublime majesty of the purity and the beauty of Jesus Christ, who will jerk it inside out and create life in reversal. And so Paul says those receiving the provision of grace and its gift of righteousness will reign in life through Jesus Christ, verse 17, will reign. You come to Christ, uh, the Bible says you become a king priest. What do king priests do? Well, they reign. And that process has begun in each of us uh, who know the Savior, who know Christ. We're worthy of it. But that's the grace of God. Again, a text, Revelation 1.5. And the cause, of course, is Christ and his active and passive obedience. Because everything that Adam did in the garden, he's going to reverse. He's going to totally obey. Totally obey. Uh, and he obeyed throughout his entire earthly life um, to reverse because disobedience brought death, Christ will reverse it and bring life. And he is the sole meritorious cause and sole basis of the righteousness imputed to his people, beginning the cure, if you will. Um, we, we talk a lot about our cures in our culture, don't we? I mean, um, some of you have, uh, me included, but some, some of you have received a, a COVID shot as a protection. It's, uh, it's imperfect. Get that. Um, I guess it gives some protection. I get that. But the imputed righteousness of Christ is the cure for the imputation of the disobedience of Adam to every human heart and ledger. He will reverse it by one act that's utterly gratuitous. One act. In one act, 
All mankind by the fall lost communion with God. By one act, Christ recovers and imputes righteousness. So the result is uh, we're justified. Uh, we've talked a lot about this in previous texts. Uh, Justification is a legal decree in which God in his sovereign grace charges to our accounts the merits of the obedience of his son, enabling us to have a relationship with him. It, and of course, it's perfect and it's also immutable. And the result is that the reign of God has begun in us and will continue, marching steadfastly until it controls everything and everyone. Adam introduced death, Christ introduces life now and forever. The countervailing force of this sinister event is Christ. Turn with me, if you would, in your Old Testaments to uh, Psalm 49. Because there's a beautiful picture of this sinister force. Uh, the psalmist writing... Uh, about men and women who are not the sons of God. Notice, notice um, the language in verse 14. As sheep, they are appointed for Sheol. Death shall be their shepherd. Throughout their biological and spiritual lives, throughout all eternity, death will shepherd them. Look at the sons of God. And the, and the upright shall rule over them in the morning. They will conquer. They will eventually conquer. Rule over them. And their form shall be for shield to consume, so that they have no habitation. But God will redeem my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. He does that by the second Adam Christ. Two forces are running concurrently in our world, death caused by the first and life caused by the last. And while sin and death have invaded humanity as a result of the fall, uh, life and righteousness have invaded too and will prevail. Will prevail. Some of you know that I'm an amateur military historian. Uh, I've studied the Normandy invasion. Uh, the continent of Europe had been owned by the Nazis. One of the most evil reigns of all of civilization. Not, not the most evil. I might turn to uh, Lenin and Stalin and Mao, but, but again, Nazism was incredibly evil. And at the Normandy invasion, the Allies, the beaches of France, gained a small lodgment. And from that, began to move throughout all of France and eventually crossed the Rhine 
and defeat the forces of evil. I mean, really, World War II um, ended, if you will, in terms of the certainty of the defeat, the beaches of Normandy. Someday, I hope you can go there. It's an incredible spiritual event. But Christ invaded the kingdom of evil and all of its blackness and sadness and tears. And the invasion cannot, cannot be stopped uh, until controls everything. And you and I, because of the power of the gospel and what Christ did as our federal head, are swept up into the train uh, of the victory. And everything that's wrong with our lives will be jerked inside out. Everything will be reversed. Um, all of our anxieties, our struggles, our difficulties, on and on. It, uh, why? Because of Christ. Uh, it's the beauty of the hope of the gospel. The sheer uh, sublime majesty of what Christ did. Because there's lots of evil in this world. and uh, But God has his sons and daughters, and they're going to reign, and nothing can stop them. They're going to reign. That Christ is our lodgment. And the application is that if we're his sons and daughters... We're on the winning side. And, and we see that in this text, both, both here and now. And his side will, will win. Notice, notice the certainty of the future tense, will reign. Not, golly, I hope, and I hope we make it. If we only cross our fingers long enough, maybe, no, that, that language is nowhere in Scripture. This is certainty. This is, we will reign. We will overcome. Because of Christ our Redeemer. What He did to reverse what the first Adam did. In the final paragraph, verses 18 to 21, Paul will summarize and conclude um, everything that he said. It's kind of a repetition uh, some of you are saying, golly, Phil, there's a lot of repetition here. Yeah, there is. I said, why is there so much repetition? That's one of the ways we learn. But if you think about that repetition, uh, why is it that even in the Christian world, these things that I've been speaking to from Romans chapter 5 are not universally accepted? Because we don't get the repetition, so it needs to keep coming. And I think one of the things that we learn there. Uh, one of the most dominant theologies in American Protestantism today is synergism. Uh, God works, and if we're smart enough, we'll cooperate with Him. Really? Where do you find that in Romans 5 or in any of the scriptures, by the way? Uh, in terms of our redemption and recover, recovery that Christ begins, we are, uh, use kind of a Greek word, we are monergists. God alone works. 
uh, because dead men can't work. And that's what we were. We were spiritually dead. Remember, the first Adam introduced spiritual death and physical death. When you're spiritually dead, you don't cooperate with God. You really rebel against Him. But God overcomes that through Christ our Redeemer. So uh, we don't cooperate with God. He simply makes it happen. Now I understand that there is a study of theology uh, that we will eventually turn to in the book of Romans where we do cooperate with God, but not in justification and salvation, our redemption. God affects that. Nowhere in all of the Scripture will you find uh, words like free will, and in our redemption, we cooperate with God to make it happen. Because it doesn't exist. Because Christ is the sole actor. As the first Adam was the sole actor in our federal head representing all of us, Christ is the sole actor of redemption. And thank God that he is, because he's a perfect redeemer. He makes no mistakes. And he accomplishes everything that he sets out to do. So, um, first in verse 18, one transgression resulted in condemnation to all. The countervailing act of God is one act of righteousness resulting in justification in life. The result of justification is life. Just incredibly beautiful. Justification, an act of God's free grace where he pardons all our sins. Uh, you know, there's measure of controversy about this pardon, the paper over a man on death row, and governor pardoned him. Great. I, I didn't know anything about the case, so I figure if the governor and the attorney general want to make it happen, that's we we voted for Stitt, for so he's there. Glad for the man he can live. Um. You, you and I were pardoned through the one meritorious act of Jesus Christ. It's the greatest pardon in all of the world. Um, pardoned forever. Pardon resulting in life and that we will reign. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 21. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. Verse 45. So also it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. The only way to receive spiritual life through Jesus Christ is to sue for peace before him. Call upon Him to save. Call upon Him to be gracious. Because He alone uh, is the life-giving Spirit, the Spirit of power that brings life through the great Spirit of God. Uh, secondly, verse 19, by the disobedience of the one, the many were constituted or made sinners, 
Uh, I love the, the Puritan alphabet. Um, the Puritans profoundly, like all of you, loved your children. Uh, so they taught great spiritual truths uh, in the alphabet. A. A. In Adam's fall, we send all. Oh my gosh. That's terrible. But it sets in motion a compelling reason to flee to Christ and the hope of the gospel. Forgiveness of sin. Absolute, total, universal, irrevocable, immutable pardon forever. We became like our father in sin. He introduced the principle and it governs us. Conversely, by the obedience of the one, Paul says, the many will be made righteous. The many will be made righteous. Pure and simple, the logic of the accomplishment of Christ. Um. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 11. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied by his knowledge. The righteous one, my servant, will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. He, he takes the effects of the fall of Adam upon himself, uh, carries our sin to the cross, and there utterly conquers sin and reverses the effects of the fall and begins that in spiritual life. And he will work it throughout the continuation of your life and ultimately until the resurrection of the dead and we will be glorified. And at that point, I will never catch another cold. I will never be discouraged again. Never. I'll never go into my room and close the windows and shut the door and tell my wife to go away so I can whine about whatever it is I'm whining about. You know why? Because of the grace and mercy of the Lord God Almighty in Christ. Compelling reason to sue for peace. By reason of his act, we're declared righteous imputation. Declarative act means we are accepted as righteous. Thirdly, in the last two verses, Paul deals with sin. The law came to incentivize and multiply the condition of it, the countervailing powers that grace superabounded. Death and sin and misery abounded, but Christ is going to superabound to reverse. The greatest reversal of all time. It's the compound form of the simplex verb in verse, verse 15. Sin is present, but grace meets it head on. Will negate and reverse its effects. And the purpose of this superabounding grace is that grace might reign. Just as sin uh, reigned in death, so grace will reign unto eternal life through justification and through Christ our Lord. And so, think about it in terms of the greatest uh, science of all time, theology. Who's going to win, death or life? Life's going to win. It will prevail over death. Uh, again, John Murray states it beautifully. It is life that death cannot invade and life that cannot be forfeited because of Christ. 
the lodgment begun at the cross is going to conquer everything. There's a beautiful expression of this in terms of a personal testimony. The Apostle Paul, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, and yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. So Christ is the assurance of our final salvation uh, because he secures it. His countervailing power checkmates uh, the sin and death introduced by Adam and sets in motion every provision of grace needful to secure our place in eternity. So the reversal is not just from justification. It's going to go on until eternity. Life, world without end. And the universe itself totally restored. No more hurricanes. Tornadoes. No more newscasters that go on and on while I'm trying to watch a football game. I mean, it's somewhat silly, but it's also a reminder of the fall and the hope, the hope of Christ and that he did it for people and he secures them. And if you have named him as your savior, he did it for you and it will run its course world without it. May, may, may he come quickly.